Hello out there, everybody. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for the patience in our getting back to you. Episode 22, Joe Hartwell. What an awesome guy. Uh, we're super pumped for you to meet Joe. I say that all the time. We're super pumped, but we really do literally get pumped every single time. Uh, anyway, episode 22, Joe joins us. Um, Joe is also from Chris's past. Uh, you'll hear the connection to Chris's story. Um, Chris kind of goes into more detail than what we heard um, from all the way back in episode one with Chris's story. Um, Joe has a very close connection with Chris, has seen Chris through a lot, um, and they've also kind of continued into this industry of recovery together, uh, which is really fascinating to hear. Uh, Joe had a traumatic childhood. He, re he references that um, kind of right at the beginning of the episode, um, and then just really goes into his work currently. Um, again, he's been in the industry for a while now. He, um, he works with alumni uh, through the treatment center he's in in Texas um, and really has a great pulse on things that are going on um, in, in recovery and in addiction um, and the works um, around it. Uh, he speaks about uh, the importance of being able to relate uh, to, to those that are trying to help you recover um, and kind of Chris mirrors some of his story as well within that discussion. Um, he talks about being a great, 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 great grand sponsor uh, and what that meant to him. I loved that story. Uh, you'll tune in and hear that. Uh, and then his overall message, which just really hopefully can resonate with all of us. Um, very simple, um, but what he's learned and what he shares at the very end of the episode is just love God, love one another, help each other. Um simple guidance for anybody. Uh, and I think, you know, after you hear this episode, you'll really understand um, why that's important, um, why simplicity sometimes is key, um, and the fact that, you know, there's, there's much more to this disease and this illness that we've uh, mentioned before. Um, there's much more to it uh, than meets the eye through our very stigma-centered lens, uh, those of us that, that don't know better. So uh, really excited for this episode. Joe, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really hope to have you back soon. Uh, thanks for who you've been to Chris um, and Chris as always glad to have you back uh, thank you all for tuning in as always episode 22 enjoy hello yo yo <laughs> <laughs> what's up man how are you? All right, not not too loud. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Awesome. Thanks uh, for joining. Yeah. Especially such short notice. Absolutely. Hi, Chris. Hi. So we'll do uh, we'll kick off here. Episode 22. Joe Hartwell, welcome to Faded Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, we are going to keep it rolling here. We've tried to um, speak to an audience of a good diverse group of people. We've been helping a lot of people, as Chris mentioned. Um, some have knowledge of substance use and addiction recovery, um, all that goes along with it. Others don't have any knowledge. So we're trying to give a good balance of you know guidance for those that might be struggling um, and the loved ones around them, uh, and also just some straight up education. So I think we're doing all right so far, and I'm glad to have you on so we can tell your story. Um, so in order to get started, I think that the easiest thing for you to do is just give a little background about where you are um, and kind of just a quick background for the audience on um, on your story, if you don't mind. 
No, I don't mind at all. Uh, I'm, I'm Joe Hartwell. I'm a recovered drug addict and alcoholic. Um, I, I first drank, you know, started drinking when I was 14 years old and I, I had a really traumatic childhood. I actually ran away from home when I was 14 years old and uh, hitchhiked to California uh, and hopped on the Grateful Dead tour and kind of mixed into that whole counterculture hippie thing and uh, did that for, for quite some time, reunited with my father later on, ended up going and getting a GED and then going on to college and ended up being a very successful businessman out of all of it. And uh, it wasn't until the early 90s, around 1995, when when I started to drink or use, you know, alcohol and drugs worked really well for me and they worked really well for a long time up to the point they stopped working. And uh, in 1995, I just, I hit a place where, you know, no matter what I did, uh, I just couldn't hit the sweet spot anymore. You know, I'd, I'd blackout drink and um, turn to harder, harder drugs and, and stronger effects produced by that and just went down the spiral. Uh, you know, people don't have to lose everything. That's my story. I, I went from being a pretty wealthy man to a garbage bag full of clothes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I crash landed after lots of treatment. I need people to understand that I went to a whole lot of treatment centers. I went to whole thousands of meetings and, and halfway sober homes and things like that until I finally landed into a little community in Kerrville, Texas, where these people were passionate about recovery and the solution, not the problem, you know, and I started my journey in recovery in 2004 in Kerrville, Texas, met a, met a man who, um, a lot of people in the recovery world know, and he's still my sponsor today. And, um, you know, I've been in the treatment industry uh, in some form or fashion for 15 years, and I, I've seen a lot. But my own story is I I do have experience with, for those that are out there that, that have had time under their belt and have gone back out, I, I will tell you that the same thing happened to me after nine years of uh, – being sober and being recovered, I got unrecovered, I got sick again, I stopped doing just the simple things that I do today, and uh, ended up going back out after almost nine years. Now, that's not a requirement of this program, I don't want anybody to hear me say that, but it happened to me, and so I guess my, I've got a soft spot in my heart for people who, who do have time and go back out, uh, but what my life looks like today, man, is, uh, you know, I'm I'm director of alumni services for a, for a leading treatment facility in the industry. And, um, I love what I do. Um, I, I get to carry the message, uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous at work. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and do a lot of alumni service stuff. So I'm on the phone with, with literally thousands of alumni that leave our facility and I stay in touch with them their first year out of treatment. Uh, and so my life is, uh, man, I don't have the millions that I used to have at one point in my life, but I'm completely content with what I have. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy, uh, for the most part, of course, 2020, we were talking earlier that it's been a crazy year mm-hmm. and you know what, man, I've, I've been okay through it. You know, I lost my father this year. That was pretty tough. Just some financial stuff has come down the pipe, you know, can it just a lot of stuff that people are dealing with now. And, and I can't imagine not being sober and working a 12 step program of action. I couldn't imagine 
life without it today, you know? So that's a little bit about me, uh, in a, in a, in a nutshell. It's just the the proof's in the pudding, so to speak. Uh, I talked to a whole lot of people that leave our facility and do exactly what we suggest they do. And they have a really cool life today as a result of that family members as well. Uh, family members that get involved with a recovery, whether it's an Al-Anon standpoint or maybe some, some marriage counseling or couples therapy or whatever they need to do to take care of, of that just straight across the board. And the, and the people that don't just don't, right. um, it's, it's that simple, you know? Um, but if a guy like me can get sober and stay sober, anybody can. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a fact. I actually have a pretty cool story about Joe that circles back to my original story that I talked about in the podcast episode with just you and I, Jackie. And when I, uh, cause I went to treatment twice and I was willing to do anything that you told me to do. And, you know, it's not anyone's fault because it's what they were shown. But when I got to, uh, treatment the first two times and got into a recovery community the first two times, the people that approached me to try to help me um, didn't qualify me as a real alcoholic or real drug addict. And they just, they just would say, are you an alcoholic and is your life unmanageable? And I would just say, well, of course I am. And of course my <laughs> yeah. life is unmanageable. And that's they'd right. be like, all right, well, welcome, you know? And, and the crazy thing is, is it seems like that's such a simple question, but it's actually not. You, we are as men in recovery and, and in this program, we are responsible for qualifying people that come in to make sure they understand and can fully concede to their innermost selves that they are real alcoholics as opposed to hard drinkers. And it didn't, it, the first couple of times didn't really have much depth to me because it was obvious that I could say, well, it seems like I'm an alcoholic, but what does that actually look like? And when I went and checked into the rehab facility in Hunt, Texas, I was coming off of Suboxone, and this was in 2011, and I remember uh, Joe's sponsor is, is my sponsor as well to this day, and, and I remember listening to speaker tapes of that guy, and <laughs> it, was, it was a new form of, of recovery that I'd never heard before, and it was clear and concise and, and fat, forward-moving at, at all times with action, and it was very appealing to me, and when I finally showed up, I saw Joe teaching a class on the first step and Hmm. he wrote body, mind, and spirit on the board and broke down what a physical allergy or a physical craving is and what a mental obsession is and and how we've lost the power of choice and whether we pick up a drink or drug after we've been physically removed from it. And then Mm -hmm. also the spiritual hole that we have within us that we're trying to fill with all these external things or fill with drugs that, that never really gets a permanent amount of freedom from. And I swear to you, I finally, for the first time in my life, knew that I was going to be okay, even though I, I had just learned that I had a, a fatal and, and, and <laughs> terrible Ill, illness of the mind right, and, and spirit. Right. And, and I walked up to Joe and I just said, man, thank you. And I gave him a big hug and I was in bad, I was in really bad shape. I had like, like needle marks all up each of my arms and just was, you know, defeated and knew I was going to get high again, even though I didn't want to. And I just said, man, thank you so much. Like, I think you saved my life. And I said, you remind me of a guy named Chris 
that I used to listen to speaker tapes from. And he goes, Oh, wow. That's my sponsor. He worked here for however many years. And I just lost it, man. <laughs> I, I think I started crying and yeah, you did. Fast, yeah. I, I cried and, and, and it was, it was wild. Cause I finally understood I'd be all right. And the whole moral of, of that story is Joe has a really, it makes me like hearing him talk. It makes me feel very emotional because I've been through so much with him, even though we weren't around each other for our whole path over the past 10 years. And when I was working at the rehab facility that, that he's also at right now, I was just mm. an RA helping people. And, and um, I saw him check into that facility in 2012, a year later. And mm. going back to his yeah. original point of it's oh, like, like, there, there are people that go back out and it's not a requirement and it's not an excuse but it's going to happen in life throughout time with certain people that we come across. And it's really important for, for people to understand that like there should be absolutely zero shame or guilt thrown at other people if they have relapsed because the amount of guilt and shame that they carry on their shoulders because of that is insurmountable. And I remember the only, I'll stop talking, but I remember the only thing I could think of when I saw Joe sitting in the office when I came up to him was I just wanted to cry so hard because I knew how difficult it was for him to be such a well-respected member of recovery and then struggle like that. And yeah. honestly, it was one of the most profound experiences of my, of my life. And I'll never forget walking in the office and seeing him because he literally saved my life. Hmm. And then I saw that he was a human being that could also struggle and, and, I'm just so, I'm just really happy that, I'm just happy you're here, Joe. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it, brother. I I think it's funny as you were telling the story about when we met, um, you know, I had the same experience with Chris in mm -hmm. the bodega when you got to understand. So like, and I think it's important for the audience to hear, like when I say I was in and out of treatment centers and I was in, a, in and out of a lot of meetings and I was in and out of sober homes and things like that, I, I think it's important for you to understand that those were those weren't, it's what I thought AA and recovery and 12 step. I thought that was the program and, and it, and it wasn't, um, it was, and I don't blame those people at all. They, like Chris said, they were taught what they were taught and they were just doing what they were, they were taught to do. Mm -hmm. But when I landed in Kerrville and I met these people that knew the solution and like Chris was saying, Chris gave me a hopeless case of alcoholism and drug addiction and what it meant to be a real alcoholic and a real drug addict. It all finally made sense. You know, I had seven years of therapy and seven years of psychiatry around my childhood, mm. but I couldn't stay sober. You see, I did great work. I'm the product of great therapy and great psychiatry, but I think people think that our external world and what happens to us and, and life's trials and tribulations, whatever they may look like for the individual, is what defines us as an alcoholic and a drug addict. And it's just not. I know people that are full-blown alcoholic and drug addicts that had a great childhood and a great family upbringing. Yes. You know, we see them all the time that come from a lot of money still. And, you know, it's this external world that we live in doesn't define us as alcoholics and drug addicts. It's the physical mental and spiritual nature of this illness that defines us. And, and I was just a baffled individual. I didn't understand. I, I just didn't understand until I met Chris and I had the same experience as Chris did. I, I started bawling. Mm. I started crying for, for the first time. I, 
finally understood. Now it was kind of a double-edged sword because then it was kind of like, oh shit, I'm screwed now, right? <laughs> but, 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 hey, I'm an alcoholic and a drug yeah. addict. So it, <laughs> hey, wasn't like, it wasn't like that. But <laughs> for the first time, I, I knew that I wasn't a bad person trying to get good. Wow. I knew that I was a sick person that needed to get well, Yeah, you know, and there was a solution to that. And, um, golly, you know, uh, we see it a lot, you know, in the industry, um, you know, you see people get set on fire in treatment and, you know, they have this experience and it's, it's real and it's legitimate. We see a lot of people try to ride on that coattail of their experience in treatment. Yeah. And it's like, man, I, I don't stay full on the food that I ate yesterday. I certainly don't stay spiritually fit on the, the spiritual work I did yesterday. Hmm. You know, this is something that I, I, I learned this lesson the hard way. This is something that I do every day of my life for the rest of my life, you right. know? Right. Uh, did, um, yeah. so, I mean, you know, in, in last episode, Christian talked a lot about how he struggled to try and kind of find that answer for himself. And he was kind of battling with the God concept, which he later kind of pinpointed that that wasn't the issue. And, and a lot of things, I mean, do you guys yeah. think, you know, based on you talking to so many people and seeing so many of these changes in people, is it generally about, um, you know, the same time within the process or does it kind of happen at different points for different people that they come to this realization? I think I, I, that's a great, that's a great question. And I, I think that it is for the individual where a person is. I, I think number one is, is where are they in the progressive nature of the illness? We see a lot of people come into treatment that maybe not really don't need to be there yet. Their, you know, parents caught them smoking marijuana. So their parents stick them in treatment. They are far from being ready to get sober, you know, yeah. but but the ones that you see that come in pretty beaten and broken. And when we speak from a spiritual standpoint, like here's the one thing, like one thing that we're really, we steer away from at the facility that I work for what we call war stories. Okay. Because war stories are like our consequences and like how much we drank or used, when we drank and used, what substance we drank or used. And, and the way we did that, uh, you know, my idea of an alcoholic was a sterno bum living under the bridge drinking ripple and a drug addict was someone that shot dope hmm. you know those were my preconceived notions about what a drug addict or alcoholic was interesting Come to find out that that doesn't have anything the the quantities that we use what we drink and use when we drink and use and what we did to get it and how we all the consequences that surround around that don't define us as alcoholics and drug addicts, all that stuff really does is separate us as alcoholics yep. and drug addicts. You see, you want to start talking to somebody and you want them to start to relate. Hey buddy, can you, can you relate to depression? Yeah. Number one symptom of alcoholism and drug addiction is depression. Mm. You know, Hey man, can, can, can you identify, can you relate to a feeling of uselessness and no sense of purpose? Mm. You know, can you identify misery and pain and, and just general being unhappy. I mean, if you talk to most people today right now, they would probably say yes, yeah. but, but, but that, you know, we gotta be careful. You gotta have the book, the mind and the body to go along with that. But when you start talking about this internal condition, which we identify as a spiritual malady, spiritual illness, spiritual disease is the solution to 
the solution for the alcoholic and drug addict. And even the big book says that this program would have its benefits for all. I mean, look at Al-Anon. Yep. You know, yep. look at look at Nicotine Anonymous. Look at look at Drug Addicts Anonymous. Look at Overeaters Anonymous. Gamblers look Anonymous. At Gamblers Anonymous. Sex Addicts Anonymous. Look at all these 12-step programs out there that are based on the fundamental pr- principles of AA. Right. The original 12-step program. Um, and so you start talking to someone's spirit and you start talking to someone's soul, man, they can identify. And I got to tell you, the first time I heard the bedevilments in the book, it's kind of what I was going down that list of internal emotion and can't control our emotional natures, pray to misery and depression. When you start talking about that stuff to someone, they get it. They get it. Um, of course, they have to have the two components with the physical and mental, you know, and what qualifies us because our art. You know, I don't know. We have a tradition in AA that, that, you know, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. So that's okay. And and as long as you have desire, you're welcome. But that doesn't mean you're a real alcoholic or drug addict or not. That just means you're you're welcome to come to our meetings. Um, Our fellowship is full of of, of hard drinkers and hard users, you know. And so I don't want to get too off page with that. But what I see out there to kind of answer your question it really depends on where someone is with the hopelessness of this illness. Yeah. You know, if they're just tired of being tired and tired, of, you know, one thing that I've seen is, is the suicidal rate among young people uh, that are linked to drug addiction and alcoholism isn't because of drugs and alcohol. It's because of the spiritual malady, you know, they, it, it drove them. They were, there are people dying from this illness sober. And I don't think anybody really wants to die. I just think they can't stand living anymore. They just don't have the solution, you know, call them dry drunks. You know, we we see a lot of that is people that are just sober, but still just as sick as can be from a spiritual standpoint. And guys, you got to understand when I'm all inclusive, you know, I, I, I'm real open and broad and roomy like the book talks about when it comes to this higher power spirit, God, um, whatever you need to put, you know, as the question was posed to me, Joe, how's your way working for you? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like, Oh no, it's not working at all. So, so maybe, maybe just maybe this, this higher power thing's not so hard to swallow. Right. But, but what, I had to do is I had to set aside all those prejudices, then I had to set aside all that stuff that I was raised with and all that contempt that I had so that I could have a new experience. But I tell you, step one is a motivator, man. When I finally had a first step experience, a hopeless case of alcoholism, that I am screwed no matter what on my own, it, it wasn't too hard to believe in something. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. What, yeah. um, so I have a question because I've, I've noticed lately, and I've, I've said this a couple of times before in the podcast, but I pay attention social media, especially just because I'm fascinated by the fact that there's, you know, tons of groups out there that people have access to uh, by way of social media um, specifically, mm-hmm. just, and, and they join and they're on there. And there's, there's people who, who comment within these, these pages, they obviously are seeking 
the group and the togetherness of something. Otherwise, I don't know why they would follow this. But um, some people right. are pretty skeptical just about, you know, the, a steps program or, you know, the, I've seen comments like, hey, you know, don't try and tell me what to do. Don't tell me to, to do these steps to get better. Like, you know, tell me, tell me more practically how I can get better by, you know, what, what good medicines can I do? I guess, I guess my point is, cause I'm rambling. There are people out there that are, that seem skeptical, but they obviously need help. And so I'm curious to know, you know, from your standpoint and talking to so many people, it's like, what do you see as kind of the, the biggest pushback from people coming into um, treatment or seeking help um, that they're averse to trying to get treatment? Um, I mean, that's a, that's another great question. Uh, we were just talking about this last week on a little webinar that we were doing. Um, here's the biggest thing that I hear people say that have such a push against a AA or DAA. I'm, I'm a big member of Drug Addicts Anonymous as well, but we come out of the same 12-step program, the same big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I, I have a home group in both. I have, I'm plugged into both those fellowships, AA and DAA. What I see is, and what I hear new people coming into treatment, and, and Chris could probably verify this, and, and your guests next week will probably verify it as well. I think the number one thing that I hear from most people is that, you know, AA doesn't work. Right. And my question back to them is like, well, uh, it worked for me. So tell me a little bit about your experience with AA. Did you... Did you get a sponsor? Did you go through all the 12 steps? Did you make all your amends? Were you 10 stepping on a regular basis? Were you doing nightly reviews? Were you praying and meditating? Were you, were you working with others? Were you giving of yourself and self-sacrifice for others that other me people may survive? Um, did you have a home group that you were serviced to? Did you, and I mean, by the finished time I'm finished going, well, well no, right. no, I didn't. Well, 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 how do you know it doesn't work? You've never worked it. Right. You know, and so that's the biggest pushback I see. One of the other things that I see is that in our society today, now, please, what I want everyone to hear me, I don't want anybody to hear me say, get off your meds, number one. Yeah. I don't want, I am not a doctor. Okay. Although I've been in the industry and I've, I've had a lot of therapy and everything myself. I'm not a doctor. But what I have seen is, is that we are a consumer society. We are a sold a bill of goods as to what will buy us happiness. Yeah. If you look at the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry, and I'm not knocking the pharmaceutical, I'm just saying it's the next greatest pill. This will fix it. And so I think from a, from a society standpoint, we were so, you know, being a consumer society and being sold all these things, you know, I think there's a pushback there that this can't be this simple. This simple little 12 step program can't possibly fix what's wrong with me. Right. Well, it doesn't. It gets you connected to something that fixes what's wrong with you. The humanly impossible. Alcoholism and drug addiction is a, is a progressively fatal illness. It may not get you today. It may not get you tomorrow, but it will eventually get you. And there's only one way out. And, and, and if you've got any, if you, if you're struggling out there, man, take a look at your truth based on your own experience around your drinking and drugging. Has your family been able to keep you sober? 
Has the relationship been able to keep you sober? The boyfriend, the girlfriend, you know, the, the job. Has the job been able to keep you sober? Has your career been able to keep you sober? Has going to jail been able to keep you sober? Has the DWI kept you sober? Has your children kept you sober? No, because no human power can relieve alcoholism and drug addiction, period, period. And, and I think because people come here with, you know, we see a lot of people that come in and have a problem with God or higher power and things like that. It's, it's like, I get it, man. I had a, if you had had the childhood that I had had, sexually, verbally, and physically abused for 14 years of your life and read scripture to, you'd have a problem with God as well. And I'm just saying, if I can get past it, anybody can get past it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but that's the kickback that I see. And I think that's the problem most people have, man. I hear a lot of people say this program doesn't work, but they've never worked it. Right. I also think we, yeah. we don't know what we don't know. Right. And that that's, that's the sense I get as well Is I think along with, with stigma of drugs and alcohol in our society, we also sure. do a terrible job of representing AA in movies and whatever. It's all very kind of jokey. Um, and I think, you know, when someone gets to the point where they really have to learn about it, I think a lot of times, not all the time, um, but the perception of what that is or what that kind of a solution could be is whatever we've made right. it based on what we've seen in media or anything that is not the true kind of inner workings or inner circle of, of you know, the network here. So I, I, I think it's absolutely <laughs> I think that there's a lot of shame, remorse and, and, and shame and remorse and guilt that comes along, you know, with it and and. Uh, I'm sure that plays a huge role when people reaching out for help, you know, Absolutely. I, I will say this in regards to that. Everyone knows everyone that I come encounter with and I come in contact with knows that I'm in recovery. I introduce myself as Joe Hartwell. I'm a recovered drug addict and recovered alcoholic and everyone in my, and I've been able to help so many people not being afraid of who I am. And what I am, because I don't live that way of life anymore. I have compassion and kindness and, and, and care for people who struggle with it. Um, and will always bend over backwards to help anyone that's willing to meet me halfway. But everyone that knows me knows I'm in recovery. And I've been able to help a lot of people that way, not hiding out in the rooms of AA. Right, right. You own it. That's been my experience. That's been my experience, too. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I genuinely believe that the more I talk about it, the more opportunity I have. Because, you know, the program tells us that our job is to be at the place where we can be of maximum usefulness to God and our fellows. And I look at the place as a transparent place where I'm always available at any given moment. And, you know, if we go to a bar, for example, and I'm hanging out with people at a bar and the bartender's like, you want a drink? I'll be like, no, I don't, I don't drink. And they'll be like, oh, okay. And or if they say, you know, well, why don't you have a drink? I'll say, oh, I'm actually in recovery. I don't, I don't drink. I got sober in 2011 because I was a heroin addict. And they'll be like, <laughs> yeah. oh. And, and people around me will look at me and go, like, man, you're really transparent about that. It's kind of intense. Don't use the H word. Around here. <laughs> but but the, the the truth is, yeah. I guarantee, I can guarantee that if you put me in a room with a hundred people. 75% of them will, one, be supportive, and two, have had some type of experience with somebody in life who has struggled with drugs and alcohol. And Absolutely. if I've been given the gift of, of 
being able to wake up in the morning and not struggle to keep a needle out of my arm or a bottle out of my mouth, then why would I not want to be transparent about that to other people? Like it's a responsibility for us at this point. It's not, it's not a luxury. It's a responsibility. You it know? absolutely and, is. And as long you're, as you're we right. do that, our experience has been as long as we are honest and open and able to help others and try to help others, we get this amazing gift in return that, that is a sense of purpose and a sense of internal freedom that there is nothing else in my life that has ever given me the same effect produced as sitting down with another alcoholic or drug addict and helping them get through the work and seeing the, the, the light in their eyes kind of just open up and, and, and create some clarity for them and seeing them get connected to God. It's, it's, it's some people may say it sounds cliche or, or whatever, but I am telling you it never fails. And that effect continues to follow me and stay with me, you know, nine and a half years later after I got sober. That's where the good, that's where the magic is, man, is, is helping people and work with another alcoholic and drug addict. I mean, it's just, it's, it's magical. You know, it's like, I look back and I'll tell you a little story. Chris is real familiar with the Outpost Club in Kerrville. And I was sitting out there at about six years sober and I had a young man walk up to me and he said, Mr. Hartwell, I want to introduce myself to you and thank you for working with my sponsor. You're my great, 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 great grand sponsor. Mm. (laughs) Now I want you to think about that for a minute. And I want you to think about what, what me getting out of myself and working with another drug addict, just one. And he worked with someone and he worked with someone and he worked with someone and they worked with someone and they worked with someone and they worked with someone and they, it just, I mean, everyone's real familiar with the ripple effect, right? So, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, it's like, man, you can't go wrong with the big book and you can't, you can't screw up a train wreck. Believe me. You know, I mean, just get out of yourself <laughs> and help somebody. I mean, these people are dying helplessly, you know? So it's like, it's amazing to me. It's like when, when he did, and we said that to me, I said, first of all, you don't have to call me Mr. Hartwell. My name is Joe. <laughs> and, 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 and tears just came in my eyes yeah. because I was a hopeless, broke down, selfish, self-centered, dishonest. I would, I'd rob you blind to get drugs and alcohol. Uh, I mean, I'd run the gamut and for someone to walk up to me after six years of doing this thing and, and the magnitude of what me, you know, my sponsor was really clear with me in the beginning. If, if you want me to work with you, the expectation is for you to carry the message and work with someone else. Yeah. And I, I agreed to that, you know? And so it, it's just when people say the program doesn't work or there's, they got, they just don't know. Most of them have never worked with another alcoholic or drug addict. Anyone that has, going back to your question and, and just kind of piggybacking off of what Joe just said, anyone who has, I have never met anyone who has said, I went through the 12 steps, I did all my amends, I did nightlies at night, I prayed and meditated in the morning, whatever that looks like, it doesn't need to be you floating in the air and doing all crazy stuff, but I attempted to pray and meditate every day at some point, and then I did my best to help out alcoholics where I could or drug addicts where I could. I have not met one single person in up to ten, close to 10 years that has ever done that and said it didn't work for me. Yeah. 
Is it, is it yeah. overwhelming or was it overwhelming to you guys when you, when you were first into your own recovery journeys, when you get to the point where they say like, you have to help others is that I've always wondered, like, is that an overwhelming feeling to hear? Or at that point, are you eager and ready for that? I'll answer that real, I'll answer yeah. that real quick. Go so ahead, I buddy. Went, I went through two attempts of getting sober and both people sponsors told me like you're gonna have to wait a year till you can sponsor and then I heard other people like Joe and Chris and people talking on speaker tapes like talking about man you got to get through this work within weeks and then find someone else to help because that's where the real magic happens it kind of got me fired up so when I got to the point where I got through my ninth step which is the amends I didn't get through it I just made a few amends and my sponsor thank god uh, was actually Joe's one of Joe's sponsees at that point said all right now you need to go help somebody else and I literally tried to save the world because I, <laughs> I had felt I had felt a new freedom that I had never felt before uh, when I was sober after I made a few amends to the point where I was like I want to show everybody how to do this because this feels absolutely incredible and I finally understand that I don't have to wake up and do dope tomorrow morning mm, mm. yeah yeah and I gotta I can I'm there I can vouch for it because uh, you know from the guy that I met in the bodega that that day that came up and hugged me crying and mm. to the to the the man that I saw out in the recovery community grinning from ear to ear and his eyes were sparkling with light yeah i i mean it's just uh, it's just something you don't want to miss man i mean you just don't want to miss it but uh it, god managed to bring him back a lot of a lot of really fond memories um I love, it. I love it are you uh and same with you joe i mean did you have a similar experience it sounds like it's it's I, based on how it's it, it's brought up and based on how it's, it's it's how it's presented to you you know um you don't have to have had the same story that chris and i had yeah you know uh you know being being in the middle of the road what the book calls middle of the road solution and all that kind of stuff watered down aa whatever you want to call it um it's just going to meetings and just not drinking kind of stuff you don't have to have that experience. You could be a newcomer, first time in treatment, first time introduced to the program and still have the same effect as long as, you know, I think part of it really relies on, on good sponsorship, you know, and uh, real good solution-based 12-step recovery. And, uh, but my experience, you know, I was, I was excited, but I was petrified at the same time. Yeah, I was really excited. I mean, I was chomping at the bit to work with someone, you know, because my sponsor had me pushing carts, uh, grocery carts outside of Walmart as a service commitment till I got a sponsor, mm -hmm. you know, so I was kind of tired of pushing carts. And so <laughs> I was ready for a sponsee. I was really excited about getting one, but uh, at the same time scared, you know, and my, my sponsor said the same thing to me, Joe, you can't screw up a train wreck, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I think you know, you make a good point. I think part of the apprehension in our fellowship and in our program around sponsorship today is that people think we have to take sponsees on to raise them. And that is not the job of a sponsor. We are not doctors. We are not lawyers. We are, well, that may be our profession, right. but 
as sponsors, we're not doctors, lawyers, therapists, psychiatrists, uh, marriage counselors, bank tellers, taxi drivers, you know, although we may do some of that stuff and help, help, help sponsees along the way with that. If we have experience with it, that's not our job. Our only job as a sponsor is an adequate presentation of the 12 step program as outlined in the big book. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It, 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 I think people think, oh, you know, I got to have to be this, be this, be that. No, what you need to be is a vessel of the message that's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's all you've got to do. Right. You know, and, and teach them what was taught to you, which makes it pretty easy, actually. Uh, this yeah. is really the 12 steps, man, don't keep me sober. What they did was that they're designed to get me connected to a power greater than myself that keeps me sober and stay connected to that power. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's, and, and that has grown immensely over the last 16 years. My relationship with God today is light years from what it was 16 years ago, even 10 years ago, to be honest with you, five years ago, it continues to grow. And, and my understanding and my relationship with my creator is, is just, it's mind boggling where it is today. So, you know, I've never seen anybody, you know, we were talking about relapse earlier. And here's one thing that I have noticed. I have never in 16 years and thousands of alcoholics and drug addicts and family members and just the whole gamut. I have never seen anyone relapse that were grateful. Yeah. Ever. Right. You know, ever. And it's the, it's the people that get, that get discontented again you know, nothing ever seems to be good enough. The entitlement. Oh, the one I hear the most from young people is I'm bored. You know, boredom. Yep. I'm bored. Well, let me let me tell you something. I'm 57 years old and my life is anything but boring. Okay. You're just boring. If you're <laughs> bored, you're boring. I'm sorry. I, I just, <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. You know, if you got a boring life, well, you're just boring. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know how yep. you can be. I mean, like Chris, man, I see Chris and just what he's done over the years and, and, and all these people, you know, we get tapped into this power and the sky is not the limit. You know, go out and, and do some good artwork. You know, Chris was real big on, all right, Joe, now what? You know, you want to go back to, you want to go back to college? You want to, you know, you want to pick the guitar back up. You want to create some music. You want to write some music. You want to you write a book. You want to go ski the mountaintops. You know, what do you want to do? Find something you you love to do and do it. You know, um, which was very important to me because I'm I'm just like anybody else. I sit around home all day. I'm going to get bored. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and that's the devil's playground for me. Is is the I'm bored really just a defense mechanism at the end of the day, though? Is that just a way of, of I, somebody not fully grasping? I, either I'm not fully grasping or I, I think they're probably bored. I, I think hmm. they I think they're stuck. Yeah, I, right. I think, think they're stuck and they don't know how to get out. Yeah, that they makes don't sense. they don't have anyone showing them the way out. That makes sense. You know, and yeah, you know, I I know and especially. I don't want to get it off sideways, you know, but we even see now treatment centers are opening up now for, for people with gaming addiction. Mm, wow. And it, it just seems like it's one more, it's just like 
again, as a, as a consumer society, I mean, we're almost a, an addictive society. It's like, we got to have that next best thing. I've got friends of mine, you know, that just bought the iPhone 11 and now they have to have that iPhone 12. They've only had the 11 for six months, but they've mm-hmm. got to have the 12. It's like, why do you have to have the 12? It's crazy. It, because I do, you know? And it's, 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 like, that, it's that desire to grasp for something externally. And if we're grasping for something externally, and this, this does not mean that we don't get into this habit ever, because I, I do. And it's something that- Oh, I'm as guilty of it too, brother. That, no. Exactly. It's it, but that's kind of a good gauge as to where we're at in recovery and like where we're at with how free we are. Because if I'm like, I need to get this, I need to get that, I need to get this, it means that like I'm grasping for something externally that is most likely an internal problem. Like it kind of all started with from the beginning. I I got sober to fix an internal problem, not to Absolutely. stop drinking or doing heroin and. And that is still the case for us today. That's why we introduced ourselves as recovered alcoholics and recovered drug addicts, because we have recovered from that hopeful state of mind and body, and we're spiritually fit. But if for some reason I, I make the decision to stop doing nightly inventories, to stop seeking God by praying and, and doing some meditations, and to stop helping others, you better believe that my mind, the way my mind works is I am going to find things that are wrong with my life as opposed to things that are amazing with my life. And that is why Joe said he's never seen a grateful person relapse is because if I'm truly spiritually free and internally free, which goes up and down throughout life, um, Absolutely. I, it's difficult for me to find negative things out of my life. It's really difficult. Hmm true so true i mean you know what's when we say discontented what are we talking about we're talking about a discontented spirit because if look if it were if it were if it were something external then all this external stuff would fix it but it's not because i i gotta tell you i've tried it i've tried everything known to man to treat what's going on inside of me. And the only thing that has ever treated my spirit is the spirit. Yeah. And if I don't get right there, if I don't get fed by the spirit, all bets are off. I will be that bored person, you know, yeah. life's boring, you know, God, it's just the, the mundane existence, you know, and, right. and it's, it's, uh, and again, I'm very room and, um, you know, really broad and roomy on someone's conception of this thing called God. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've sponsored lots of Buddhists. I've, I've sponsored lots of people that are great Native American spirit, um, you know, Christ, Christians, uh, the great unknown. I mean, whatever it takes for you to just be willing, you know, and uh, I mean, alcohol and drugs are great persuaders into that willingness, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it's a pretty cool gig, man. You know, uh, I gotta tell you, I, I didn't write this story for myself. I, y'all need to know that, you know, I, I, you know, living on the streets of Austin, Texas, you know, panhandling for food and living on the box opposite, you know, the Conagris bridge opposite the bats. I had not written this story for myself. Um, I, I didn't, I never thought I would you know, work for a treatment facility, helping right. drunks and, and addicts, you know, I just didn't know that was in the cards. Uh, and, and, 
it's just amazing. You know, it's just, I just, like Chris said, I, I have to stay in these disciplines. We call them the spiritual disciplines, the 12 steps. I do a little bit every day and it keeps me connected to this power that's in working in my life. And I'm, I'm content, you know, again, I have a fraction of the amount of wealth and stuff that I used to have, but I am so okay with what I have today. That's great. You know? Yeah. I yeah. Love that. yeah. Fascinating stuff. I mean, the, the, your whole story, it's, you know, it's so great to hear. And contentment is such a thing that we, we don't really, we, we're, we're swayed, we're jaded in what contentment actually means, you know, just because sure. we're shown that money and fame and all that is, is the goal, but that's not at all. Like talk to people in those positions. Let, let me tell you, yeah, probably right. not quite I that mean, happy. Just watch the news. Right. Yeah, just watch the news. You'll exactly. see how that's working. Right. But, uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having money. I mean, no, I was no. talking to a guy today, you know, and he's a very wealthy guy. And, and you know, he was a he was an alcoholic. He's addicted to drinking wine, you know, a couple bottles of wine. But that was enough to, to put him into treatment. And, you know, he hasn't gone as far down the line. Yeah. And he doesn't have to. Right. You know, he hit us. He hit a spiritual bottom that was enough for him to say, I need that's, help. That's right. You know, that's you right. Know, I need help. I, I can't stand. Nothing is enough. You know, there's just not enough to fix what's going on with me. And he was able to identify with the, with the mental and physical nature of the illness. But what he could really identify when it got down to it was it's like when you start talking this, this discontentment and the spirit and the feeling of uselessness and no sense of purpose and all these things, he's just like, Oh my God, you're telling my story. Hmm. You know, people focus and people focus too much on what drug or alcohol people are using and how much it is. The only yeah. importance that has is how quickly someone's going to die or not, or if their brain is going to get exactly. But yeah. what, what it really comes down to is what's going on internally. That's it. That's it. That's I, it spinoff of you mentioned that you know you you were a former panhandler right and you were you were under a bridge and all that i mean i've always wondered and i've heard a lot of people ask this question but as somebody that has been in that position for for those of us that drive up and we see a panhandler and we we don't know what to do or we're scared of of them or whatever whatever the sentiment is at the time what do you do is there a right answer to that question man i i don't know if i'm the right person to ask that question i i I give what I have. Yeah. I give, I, I give them something, you know, if I got some change in my, in my console, they're going to have it. You know, okay. if, uh, if they look like they're really hurting and down and out, I'm going to swing over. If I don't have any change or any cash on me, I'm going to go buy them a hamburger, you know, and I'm going to give them a hamburger. Yeah. You know, it's like, these are human beings. Right. And they're people too. They're just very sick. And yep. I mean, part of our problem in our society today is that we've become so busy, just busy, 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 that we don't even pay attention to the sick anymore. Right. You know, it's just like they're, they're a nuisance yeah. and it breaks my heart, but I've been there. I know what that's like. And so I may be a little, I, I'm a little prejudiced in that area. I don't know, but, but man, I mean, they're people. And yeah. there are people that are just down and out. And most of those people are, are, are some of the sweetest and kindest sick people I've ever met. They're just in a bad It could be any of us. It could be that's any true. of us. And, be and that's not us. even just trying to sound like, oh, it could be me. Like, I genuinely believe that that could be me in five years if I don't, if I don't 
keep my stuff together. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. Are we, um, are we getting better with treatment as we go forward? Have things changed? You've been in the industry now for a while. I mean, are, are we getting better at this treatment thing? <laughs> I think treatment got a lot better, especially when it moved out of the, um, when you started seeing good 12 step programs start to pop up in the, you know, late seventies into the eighties and the nineties, um, you start to see this big 12 step emergent in treatment centers. Uh, I think there were s- several people that were responsible for that, uh, that really just grabbed the bull by the horn and started running with this, this kind of model. Um, I, I know insurance is getting tougher and tougher, uh, and that's probably a whole nother segment about insurance companies and, and not willing to pay mm. for treatment. But uh, I think as an industry, I know there's some really good facilities. I know in the state of Texas, for instance, and we have we have a place in Florida, and I know there's places all over the country that offer good 12-step recovery. Now, that don't just say they offer 12-step recovery that are 12-step based. Um, that also offer a good therapeutic, you know, clinical piece and uh, doctors and nurses team. You know, what we're doing in treatment is we're treating the body, the mind, and the spirit. Mm-hmm. And each little, each little group of folks, whether it be medical, clinical, or 12-step, are all working together trying to treat a three-part illness. And um, it, it, you know, I, I think... The awareness as a, as a society, I think in a country, our awareness is getting better. I think the stigma is getting a little bit better, yeah. but I think we're a far way from being where we should be, you know, far way off from being where we should be. Sure. And do you have anything you know, that's, that comes, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but anything that comes top of mind for you, as we say, we're a far from where we should be. I mean, what do we need to keep doing? Or is it um, just conversation, continued conversation? Do you have something that you think would be you know, a helpful solution to try and get closer? You know, I, I, uh, one of the things that I really liked was the, um, anonymous people movement that has kind of fizzled out a little bit since it, since it's hit, hit the airwaves. A lot of the people that I know that are really hardcore 12 step folks, uh, there were some mixed emotions about that whole movement, but I sure would love to see, Recovered addicts and recovered alcoholics alike really coming together and pull together as as a lot of different groups in society does to raise more awareness and to show that this program really works and be be vocal be 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 proud that you're a recovered alcoholic and drug addict. I'm not proud of the things that I did when I was in my disease okay that's not what I'm proud about what I am proud is that I'm, I'm a productive member of society again. Uh, I have a relationship with my creator. I'm of service to others. I help people. And, um, you know, I think as an organization, as, you know, as this spiritual movement that we have, I think we could just make it so much better. And I, I, I think, um, I think it's going to take us being more vocal about it. Things like you're doing right now with this podcast. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we need so much more of, yeah. you know, uh, and raising awareness. And um, I love family members. If you've got family members on here, um, I got to tell you, it, it 
family is so important. Family is so affected by this illness um, and, and family are so important for helping support, not only getting their own help, whether it be through Al-Anon or therapy or anything, you know, to kind of recover from the devastation of this thing. But man, I mean, getting busy, you know, one of the things that I would love to see families do more is get really busy in Al-Anon and they really need help in, in helping other people survive the devastation that this disease causes. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I guess more proactive, more stuff like this. Uh, you know, I we've seen a definitely seen an improvement with our 12 step fellowships uh, rising up around the country. There's a whole lot more uh, that was ever available when I was in Houston now than than when I was in Houston, for instance. I mean, there's some really good big book thumping groups, primary purpose groups, very very big book oriented, very centered in the solution. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to get out of the problem and we need to get into the solution. I love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, you're welcome. Good stuff. I want to uh, wrap it up just in the interest of time. What else do you want to leave the audience with in parting? And I would love to have you back on, Chris. I know you'll agree. Uh, this has been one of the best ones, I would say. Um, so oh, man. let us I'm, know. Of, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm blushing. <laughs> no, very relatable and i think you know it's for there's such a wide audience here and we're all trying to learn together and to your point i think we just got to keep talking about it um uh, but it's been awesome and i would love to just know kind of what else you'd like to leave uh in parting here's what i'll leave in parting um and it's something that i talk about a lot at the facility uh with the men and the women um i'm a i'm a spiritual doctrine fanatic um, I'm, I'm 4,000 years back right now, and I've studied a lot of different spiritual doctrine. I've studied Christianity. I've studied Buddhism, great Native American spirit, um, Hinduism. I mean, I've just, I've gone back 4,000 years, and this is what I want to leave you with. And, and the message has been the same no matter what. I don't care what you believe in. I don't care, you know, what faith you are. Uh, the message has been, and I think we really need to get back there. Love God, love one another, and help each other. Period. That's it. Amen. That's it, man. And I want everybody to understand when I say I'm not coming from a biblical standpoint. This is this is spiritual doctrine going back a very long time. I think out people think alcoholism and drug addiction is something new. You know. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> Confucius was quoted saying, man takes a drink. 3,000 years ago, man takes a drink, drink takes a drink, drink takes the man. Yeah. Love one another, help each other. That's, I love it. I love it. That's what we need. Yeah. Thank and thank you so much. I, I just, it was, it was an honor to be on. Thank you for the time. And we'll continue this. Um, as we say, uh, we're like Chris and I joke, we're going to keep going until we can't. Right. And so, uh, it's been absolutely super eye-opening for me. Um, just as somebody that, that hasn't gone through what you guys have gone through, but I've tried everything I can to remain as close as possible so that I can help those in my same position. Right. It's all about, you know, the continuing to pay it forward, no matter what your situation is. Um, That's right. and learning about other stories and continuing the discussion. So, um, really appreciate you. Can't wait to meet you in person at some point. Um, and, uh, Chris, anything else? I've got nothing else. This was, this was really fun. And it was, it was pretty cool to have Joe on here because he's been 
a really big part of my story in a in a simple way, but in a in a pretty profound way. So I'm I'm happy about it. Absolutely. Thank you, buddy. I I love you so much. You've been a big part I love of mine you as too. well. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love you too. Awesome, guys. Well, we will chat soon. Otherwise, have great weeks. Thank you. Y'all do the same. Bye-bye. All right. Bye -bye. Take care. All right. See Bye, you guys. guys.